Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And more often than not, for a while, I was really angry because I was like, why the hell has it taken, you know, till I was 25 to be diagnosed with this when I've literally been having symptoms since I was like 11 um, and told doctors about it and had so many red flags and nobody even cared because all they were focused on was like my BMI. Hey, Love Food listener, Julie Duffy Dillon here. I'm preparing season four of the Love Food podcast. And in the meantime, I'm rebroadcasting the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. Kimmy Singh and I interviewed people navigating their food peace journey while affected by a chronic condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Do not experience this yet experience diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, or another condition and don't want to diet? Or are you feeling shame every time you leave the doctor's office or avoid them altogether because of the weight talk? Or are you looking for more body liberating resources? Well, then we made this podcast just for you. Pencil me in for Tuesday, September 17th, when season four of a Love Food Podcast begins. And now the PCOS and Food Peace Podcast. Take care. Chapter 7, Danny Adriana on weight stigma and slowing down. Hi, and welcome to the PCOS and Food Peace Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon. And I am Kimmy Singh. We're so glad that you're here with us. We put together this show with you in mind, and we hope that it provides you the companionship that you're looking for as you navigate your PCOS journey. Kimmy and I have worked hard to put the show together to shine a light on voices not heard in PCOS circles. You'll hear from people like Jess Baker, Ivy Felicia, Sophie Carter-Khan, and many others. Every interviewee was asked a series of questions about their PCOS journey. This episode features Danny Adriana Galvin, a fat activist from far north Queensland, Australia. We'll start today how we start every chapter of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast with a listener question. We gather these questions on Instagram, through our Facebook community, and email newsletter. Today's question comes from Instagram. You can find Julie at Instagram at Food Peace Dietitian, and you can find me at Tasting Abundance. An anonymous user asked us, fatigue is a huge symptom of my PCOS, but no one seems to understand. How can I balance out carbs with intuitive eating and PCOS? Um, I'm kind of trying not to laugh and not not anonymous. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because of something I'm noticing with the question. Um, so first of all, Kim, Kimmy, tell me if I'm being an asshole. <laughs> I'm trying to be an asshole. Um, but um, so I, 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 first of all, I think it really sucks that no one understands this person's fatigue because I... As the listener knows, I don't have PCOS, but after listening just to like three or four people with it, fatigue is a really common part of it. And mm-hmm. and I don't think it's like fatigue, like, oh, I need to go take a nap, but like every joint and muscle is like tired. I don't know if you relate to that symptom of it. Uh, yeah, I think that people, I think that's one thing that people, that sorry, one thing people with PCOS don't understand is how intense that fatigue is. It's like imagine that you've just been awake for days and you've been doing work for days, no. and it's so hard to even like stay awake, let alone stand or do do any activities. Um, so the fatigue is really intense. That sounds awful. Like sleep is a one of my favorite things in the whole world. Like that. So thinking about being up for days and days sounds like torture in itself. And then you're yeah. supposed to go exercise on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and cut out all your carbs. Yeah. Well, and, and that, eat cauliflower pizza, of course. Oh, gross. No. <laughs> um, I mean, no, no offense to anybody who likes cauliflower pizza, but I'm not going to have any. I don't like cauliflower at all. So um, anyway, but this person is asking a really 
common important question about carbs with PCOS. I feel like as a dietitian and Kimmy, I know you're almost a dietitian. You're going to get this question all the time. What do I do about carbs with PCOS? And I feel like that I wish it wasn't the first question, but it always is because like trying to do something manipulative with carbs is like totally going way ahead of what needs to happen in order to manage PCOS. But it's always the first thing people think of. And the reason why I kind of chuckled when I like was listening to you read the question is because I feel like intuitive eating works so well with PCOS because with PCOS, the body lets the person know many times. I mean, not all the time. I think there's exceptions, especially like when someone's really knee deep in diet culture or feeling threatened or experiencing a trauma or anxious, you know, like there's things that cut us off from our body for sure. And when there's times when a person is aligned with their body and practicing intuitive eating as much as they have access to, um, the body will tell it that like through fatigue, oftentimes when a food is just not one that clicks well with it. And, you know, I feel like for some people with PCOS, carbs don't like provide that fatigue or a sluggish feeling or anything like that. They feel really energized by it. And then I have other people who are like, oh no, when I eat XYZ, um, high carb food or high sugar food or whatever, it gives me a headache or I feel really, really tired and have to take a nap. So unless I can take a nap, I'm probably not going to eat it. And coming from a place of compassion, not like I must not eat that. Just like yeah. I have to keep a job. <laughs> yeah. And I think like when you're, I guess like when you're learning about intuitive eating and you're stepping away from restriction, it can be kind of hard to find the balance of listening to your body and maybe like limiting foods that you, you feel like makes you feel bad and you don't really want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I know that that part can feel scary, but the key is gentleness. The key is compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I think there's so many things to consider before like taking out carbs. And I I have to kind of say too, this person asked, how can I balance out carbs? And when I hear balance, I know that's supposed to mean like flexibility, but I feel like diet culture tells us that means moderation, um, the right amount, (laughs) not too much. And so that's (laughs) when I was reading into it. That's really what I was hearing. And, um, instead of what should you take away? I remember Jess Baker, in her interview, talking a lot about how her dietitian taught her, what can I add instead of what should I take away? And if a person is new to intuitive eating work, then I would say maybe trying to think of it through that lens. Like, what can I add to see if it adds energy and helps improve this fatigue that is just so excruciatingly painful, painful and, you know, keeping me from doing what I want to do in life. And uh, Kimmy, you know, what's really funny is I just am realizing now that we... I've been talking about intuitive eating, answering this question, but what if someone doesn't know what it is? And so what I I know they need to know, (laughs) but intuitive eating is a book that was originally written in the mid nineties by two dietitians. I'm going to put a link to, um, the, the, the 10 principles of it in case someone's like, what the hell is intuitive eating? And hopefully that will help them to just get a better, better understanding of that. And I'm excited to get to the interview for today's podcast we are going to be um, hearing from Danny Adriana. And she is someone that was really doing a lot of work personally with intuitive eating and body positivity before she got diagnosed with PCOS. So her experience is kind of different in that way. I think most people we talked to was the opposite, but um, it's a really great interview. And Danny is just so fun. And we're going to hear from her in just a moment. We're going to pause briefly just for a short commercial break. Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. 
I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This rebroadcast of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. If you're experiencing PCOS, I know at some point you were told you have to diet in order to promote health, like forever. So what do you do when you've tried every diet and it hasn't worked? What do you do if you know diets don't work for most people? So why would they work when you have PCOS? I have a course just for you. I have a 12-step system that I take people through who are wanting to move away from diets, heal the relationship with food, do intuitive eating work, and promote health at the same time. Yeah, it's possible. If you want to look at all the details, go to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And keep in mind that I have a 25% off coupon that when you're in the checkout area, just put in the coupon code PODCAST and you'll get 25% off. So I look forward to seeing you within the course. And if you're a dietitian who helps people with PCOS, which so many people are affected by this condition. So I have a feeling if you're a dietitian, you are working with people with PCOS. And if you're a dietitian who is haze informed or uses only non-diet approaches, if you don't, well, look into them because they're a really important part of the PCOS healing experience. And if you want some more tools to help those clients with PCOS, go to the course I designed just for you. It has 20 continued education units through CDR, and you can get to all the details at pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. This rebroadcast is also brought to you by Kimmy Singh's work at tastingabundance.com. So Kimmy Singh, when she recorded this podcast with me, was finishing up her master's degree in nutrition and starting her dietetic internship, and she is all done. She is a dietitian now and seeing clients. If you would like to know more about her work, she does speaking nationally, and she also works with clients individually. If you'd like to know more about her work, go to tastingabundance.com. All right, enough of all that. Let's get back to the show. Kimmy and I are thrilled to share our interview with Jess Baker. She's a positive, progressive, and magnificently irreverent force to be reckoned with in the realm of self-love, advocacy, and mental health. She believes in the importance of body autonomy, hard conversations, strong coffee, and even stronger language. She does all of these in our interview, and we loved it. After creating satirical versions of Abercrombie & Fitch advertisements in 2013, she appeared on the Today Show and quickly became one of the leading voices in the current body image movement. That's why it was so important to include Jess Baker in the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. When not writing, Jess spends her time speaking around the world, working with plus-size clothing companies, organizing body liberation events, taking pictures in her underwear, and attempting to convince her cats that they liked to wear bow ties. Learn more about Jess at themilitantbaker.com. The interview with Jess is coming up next, following this brief commercial break. This PCOS and Food Peace podcast is being brought to you by Theralogics, the makers of Avocetol, an inositol supplement with a blend of myo-inositol and de-chiro-inositol in the body's optimal ratio of 40 to 1. 
Inositol is our nutrients that help to decrease insulin resistance, promote menstrual regularity, restore ovulation, and balance hormone levels. In convenient powder form, Avocetol can be enjoyed in your favorite beverage or smoothie. Available in both a canister and convenient single-serving packets, Avocetol contains 100% pure inositols with no additives. It also is the only inositol supplement that I recommend to my clients with PCOS because it does have that very important 40 to 1 ratio and is third-party tested. Order online today at Theralogix.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-L-O-G-I-X.com. And during checkout, be sure to use my PRC code 127410, and you will get an exclusive PCOS and Food Peace podcast discount. Also, be sure to listen to the end of this episode, where we will give you the opportunity to win a free 90-day supplies of Avocetol. So go to Theralogix.com and use the PRC at code 127410. Hi, Danny. Hello. <laughs> nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. Tell me how you figured out you have PCOS. Um, it's kind of been a weird, long journey. So earlier this year, um, I had a late period, um, which I thought I might be pregnant. Um, it was highly unlikely, but it was just like weird. It just was so much longer than normal. Uh, so I went to the doctor and, um, had a pregnancy test and obviously that was negative. And then my period started and it didn't stop for around about, 65 days. Wow. <laughs> so um, my doctor was like, something weird's going on here. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, do you mind testing me for PCOS? Um, and he was a bit hesitant. This was my previous GP. Um, and he didn't even really know what PCOS was. Um, and then from there, he kind of referred me to a specialist gynecologist. And I had gotten a new GP who is much um, more switched on um, and kind of went from there. Hmm. So let me ask you, you, you uh, said you asked about getting tested for PCOS. Like what was the clue that you had that, that may be going on? Um, I suppose a lot of the symptoms over my life in terms of like mental health, like previous eating disorder history, like weight, um, had all kind of, um, fit my profile. I always thought I had a low thyroid or that I had some insulin issues, but every doctor I'd ever, ever spoken to, um, had kind of done some like minimal testing and kind of ruled stuff out. Um, but I just knew that my body didn't really work like other people's bodies, probably because when I had my eating disorder, um, I guess considering what I was exercising and eating, my body didn't respond in a lot of other ways that other people with eating disorders did. Um, and even though I know there's body diversity and like being in the body positive community, there's so many different ways to look at eating disorders and not everybody's body looks the same when you go through that. I kind of just, I don't know. I just had a feeling. I don't know why, but, um, turns out I was right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when I, before I was diagnosed, I always had a feeling that there was something up that there was something hormonal and it's so interesting how we have, we have that connection to our bodies, even mm -hmm. before we really know or get a diagnosis. And I know I was definitely too scared to ask. And I yes. almost like didn't want to know. I don't know if that makes sense, but for you, how did you get that courage to ask? Um, for me, I was, I suppose the last two years I've actually started advocating for myself at the doctors better. I've had like a lifelong history of doctors just basically I'd walk into a doctor's office from the age of five and they'd be like, oh yeah, you'd be better if you lost weight. So I was kind of so overly frustrated of being like, you cannot continue to tell me this. You have to actually do your job. Um, and I think that's why I was like, I, I don't, I mean, before I got diagnosed, I was kind of like, I don't really care what it is. I just want to know. Um, obviously, that changed over time once I realized that I was actually diagnosed with PCOS. Um, but it was kind of like I just wanted someone to do testing because I knew there was something else out of my control that was going on. Um, and not knowing what that was was more scary than knowing what it was. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's a lot. Um so since you 
been diagnosed, how has the relationship with healthcare professionals been, you know, around your PCOS treatment? With my gynecologist, she's probably, she's better than a lot of doctors I've seen. Um, The situation being in Australia and living in a regional place is kind of like, you're very limited in terms of health practitioners you can see. So it's kind of like seeing the best out of a bad bunch at times. Um, So with her, she's super supportive, but she's also kind of drills home about the weight loss narrative a little bit harder than I would prefer. Um, But I can deal with that like personally, that's fine. Um, But my new GP I found, I don't know how I found her, but she's like an absolute angel. She's like everything I've ever wanted in a general practitioner doctor. So um, I feel really supported by her. Um, And I also do have an amazing therapist who I've seen since I was like 18. So having her and my GP together, it's like, I feel like I have a good treatment team. Um, But they're still with my gynecologist or any specialist stuff that I've been dealing with has still been quite... um, weight loss driven, which is a bit disappointing because even though I try to explain my position and kind of educate them a little bit, they're not exactly that open to like diverting from, I guess, the, the, the societal and cultural and also like the current research that's around PCOS, which I don't necessarily fully agree with, um, because there's minimal and it's very like weight loss and fertility focused. Um, so yeah, I, it's kind of been a mixed bag, but I feel like with my, at least I have two people on my treatment team that kind of know what's up. (laughs) So yeah. 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 And it's such a, um, global issue because I know you said something about, um, kind of the best of the worst. And I feel like that's something that I hear in the U S where Kimmy and I live and you know, the, the dream for, for us is that there'll be healthcare providers listening who are just wanting to better understand PCOS. And uh-huh. um, what is your GP doing that makes you like just feel so much better with this person? Um, well, like, for example, she's the first GP that's ever like listened to me and asked mm-hmm. me what I wanted for my treatment plan. Um, she's never suggested weight loss. She listened to my whole eating disorder history and like validated and believed me, which is a nice change for a medical professional who sees someone in a larger body. Um, she is like open to helping me with my food stuff, but not super pushy about it. Um, and also was just like, okay, she's better, I think at managing the symptoms that I'm currently having. Cause I think in PCOS, a lot of the time, Um, it's fertility focused or it's focused on, um, you know, the pre-diabetes aspect, which are all important, um, depending on your situation. But for me, I, I went and saw my gynecologist and I had my period for 40 days and she didn't even put me back on the pill. Mm. Um, so I was still bleeding, um, and still suffering with major symptoms that were disrupting my daily life. Um, when I saw my new doctor, she was just like on top of it straight away. So, um, knowing that I can go see her and tell her what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not and have that respected is like, it seems like such a basic thing, but so many doctors don't do that. Well, I know this question may be very timely considering your diagnosis was so recent, but how are you telling your loved ones about your PCOS? Um, So the first specialist appointment I went to, my mum came with me. Um, My mum's kind of like a take no shit person (laughs) Um, and doesn't really... I don't know, even if you're like the highest qualified person, she like doesn't necessarily believe everything that someone says. So Mm. she's a good person to take to doctor's appointments because she'll challenge them and she just doesn't care. Um, So I took her with me and also my partner. Um, He obviously knew I was getting tested for PCOS. Um, It's been good. My family in general is really supportive. Um, My mum, given my eating disorder history and just a lot of history with us in general, kind of takes um, I think she feels a little bit guilty because it's taken so long for me to get diagnosed and we always knew something wasn't quite right. Um, but my partner's just like the best, best person in the world. Like he's so supportive. He's happy with whatever I want to do and however I feel and whatever feels right to me. Um, and is just kind of there for me and can facilitate anything that I kind of need. So I'm pretty lucky in the way that like nobody, um, has, and especially with the fertility stuff, like, Um, there's no major red flags in terms of that stuff for me yet. And my doctor still like 
wants obviously we're looking at having children in the future so she's been really supportive about that and my partner's just been like yeah whatever happens we'll deal with it so it's been a good um I haven't had to really worry about how the people around me have kind of accepted it because they've been really supportive so it sounds like having that strong support system beforehand made the whole process easier for you yeah it's it's kind of like I don't really have to walk out into my own world and feel um, nervous or scared about it. It's more when I go to specialist appointments that that's kind of harder to deal with. But once I leave that appointment, my general life is really good. So I'm lucky in that way. Hmm. Well, you know, to pivot just a little bit, um, you've mentioned um, just a few times about the eating disorder history that you have experienced. And so many people with PCOS have that common bond with you. And, you know, with having this newer diagnosis of PCOS, how has that affected your relationship with food? It's made it better in a weird way. I don't know. I've been in, it's probably the best point in my life that I could have been, even though obviously I've probably had PCOS for a long time. Um, For example, if I had been diagnosed with it in my early 20s or when I was a teenager, I don't think that I would have um, reacted well to it. I was still very diet culture centric. I had a a massive eating disorder and fitness issue. So I think that it would have just pushed me even further over the edge. Um, Now that I've been in recovery for how long have I been in recovery? I'm 25. So about four years. um, It's well, maybe five years, but I would say behavior-wise, probably four years. I think I'm in the best point in my life to deal with this and not have to connect it with previous eating disordered behavior. Um, It's made me more mindful of what makes me feel good when I eat it. Before that, I was doing mindful eating, but I guess I didn't really um, look too hard at what, at how it was making me feeling in terms of energy or mood, just because for so long, I just, refuse to eat anything so to be able to eat whatever I want felt really powerful to me um but now especially in the part of my life I'm at and with the symptoms that I'm having um knowing that I can manage my food and make choices for me that feel good but not have to be completely controlled or slip back into those eating disorder things have actually I've felt really proud because I didn't think I'd ever get to the point in my life where I could look at food in this way and not feel triggered um but more often than not it's making me feel like I have a choice rather than I'm restricted if that makes sense yeah definitely makes sense and the way you describe mindful eating is the way that I wish everyone described mindful eating because I feel like it's kind of been co-opted by diet culture. And what I hear you doing is like, oh, how is my body reacting to this? Um, Am I enjoying this? Am I feeling energized? Instead of like, oh, I shouldn't, I should only eat when I'm hungry. (laughs) You know, which I feel like as far as a lot of people go with it. Yeah. I mean, like at the moment, I'm not eating a lot of like um, carb high density, like high processed carbohydrates. And normally that would make me really sad because I love bread. Um, But at the moment, uh, as soon as I eat bread, my body just feels more tired. I I get more symptoms and headaches. And, you know, to me, it's not worth it at the moment. Um, I'm still finding alternate ways to enjoy bread in a different form. Um, But just kind of changing the way I interact with food in terms Mm -hmm. of like how it's making me feel and enjoy my day um, has felt really nice because, yeah, the feeling of feeling out of control hasn't really happened yet. So I'm hoping Mm. that it it continues that way. Yeah, me too. And for a lot of people that I've worked with, they have gotten diagnosed with PCOS when their eating disorder is at its peak, you know, and I'm wondering, like, how dare we even ask, like, how, how do you think it would be different if this diagnosis would have happened when you were like 18 or 19? Um, the only thing I would have heard and saw when I, ha- when this happened was weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. Yeah. It just would have reinforced the fact of me being like, damn, I should have kept going with my eating disorder. Damn, I need to go back to the gym. Damn, I need to cut out this, 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 and this. Um, it would have been like miss team controlling. <laughs> like I just would have hmm. taken it and run with it as a excuse for eating disorder behavior, I think. And also it just, um, the difference I think would have been that I would have taken upon it as in this whole thing is my fault. And if I had just 
stayed thin, then it wouldn't have happened, which mm-hmm. is obviously not true. Right. Um, whereas now being an adult and also the space that I'm in mentally and emotionally, I can look at it and be like, oh, suddenly this all makes sense. And more often than not, for a while, I was really angry because I was like, why the hell has it taken you know, till I was 25 to be diagnosed with this when I've literally been having symptoms since I was like 11 um, and told doctors about it and had so many red flags and nobody even cared because all they were focused on was like my BMI. Um, So there was a lot of anger and grief that came with it because I was kind of like, I've suffered so long with all these problems that I thought were individual and caused by myself. Um, But now looking at it at a macro level, they're all interconnected because of my PCOS. And that makes me quite frustrated um, because I know there's probably women out there who are still dealing with that sort of stuff and aren't diagnosed. Yeah, it, it really takes way too long to get diagnosed. It's ridiculous to me. I'm not a medical doctor, but like, I feel like it's pretty, I don't want to say simple, but it, there's like just some flags that I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like PCOS. And you mentioned at 11, there were some symptoms. What were your symptoms at 11? Um, So like, I've always had mood. Oh, well, like I've always been a bigger kid. Like even when I was like, five, like for example, I was always at the end of the height and weight chart. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was always just bigger. My body has always just been bigger. And that's obviously just a body diversity thing as well. Um, but from 11, I, I definitely see like mood changes, particularly like once I started to get my period at about 12, um, like just the mood changes I have probably weren't as, um, as normal as what other women or young girls were going through at my age. I thought it was way more extreme. Um, And I always just felt out of control with my emotions in a way that I always thought was related to my anxiety and my, um, and my mental health struggles. But I do think like my hormone imbalances had a lot to deal with that. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, like every time I went to the doctor from like five to like, what is it last last month, 24, uh, 25, I got told, oh yeah, it's, it's because of your weight. Um, which I mean, I had a life, a life, you know, destroying eating disorder that took me down to the lowest my body could even go. Um, and even that wasn't good enough for my medical professionals. So I'm kind of done with the weight loss track. Like I've, (laughs) I've been on that my whole life. So now if they just suggested, it's just not something I'm comfortable going to because it doesn't work for my body. And also it just doesn't work for anyone in general long-term. So I'm not going to put myself through that mentally or emotionally or physically, um, because it's not the, it shouldn't be the focus. Like it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be, what is the cure because it it doesn't cure it and also it doesn't have um an effect on my body personally and I know that from my body experience it's just unfortunately doctors don't necessarily take your whole life experience with your body into account because they're the doctors um but saying that my new GP is wonderful so I I have hope that there's more professionals out there um unfortunately she's probably the first one I've found um, but I hope that this becomes more common than it is an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish not more doctors knew that we are the experts on our own bodies. But um, mm-hmm. so since you were already body positive, I'm really interested in learning about how your PCOS affected your relationship with your body, even before di- your diagnosis and afterward. Um, before my diagnosis, I felt like, like I was saying, I did feel a little bit of guilt about all of my individual symptoms. So for example, like my hormonal swings, my depression, my anxiety, my eating disorder history, my um, feeling like I never really felt energized in my body. Energy was a big issue for me. Like even when I was working out, like I'm always someone who's like, I tire quicker, um, And obviously that was because of like my high insulin resistance stuff that I've got going on. Um, So before that, I felt a lot of guilt. This has kind of given me a, not something to blame it on, but kind of like, okay, look, like it really isn't your fault. Like there were things going on in your body that were completely out of your control that you didn't, that you couldn't manage because you didn't know were going on. Um, And now it's kind of given me... 
Um, unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, it's kind of slowed me down a bit. Um, all of my symptoms, especially like chronic health wise over the last six months, um, have really put a dampen on someone like me, who's usually like a go, 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 get everything done kind of person. Um, but it's made me slow down quite a bit, which is, has a positive and negative. Like my psychologist is really happy because she's like, oh, you're like resting and like, you know, doing some self care. And, um, it's kind of forced me to reevaluate like my balance in my life, um, which I think long-term will be really good, but that was really hard for me at the start. Cause I felt like I was like, something was being taken away from me. Like I couldn't live my life the way I had used, I had usually done. Um, but at the moment I'm feeling pretty positive. I've turned a corner in the last week in terms of I've finished my last, um, upping of a medication that I'm on and I feel like things are getting better. Um, so hopefully that continues. It's almost like finding out about the PCOS was like a major missing puzzle piece that you didn't know you had. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know, it's been really relatable for me, I guess, being able to use the PCOS as something that pushes you towards learning more about yourself. And even with this whole process, like you said, of slowing you down, maybe it's something, you know, you needed, but you didn't necessarily know you would do if you didn't know about PCOS. Oh, no, definitely. Like I... I think now that I know my body is like working extra hard to try and like keep me happy and healthy, um, it makes me respect it a bit more to be like, oh, I need to slow down a bit rather than before. I just thought, oh, like, don't be lazy. Like other people can work this hard and do this stuff and not have a problem with energy or fatigue or um, other stuff. Um, but now I know that I have other things at play and I need to respect that because I can't push my body as hard sometimes depending on my symptoms and that's okay. And I'm sure a lot of other people that suffer from even other chronic conditions could relate to that. So um, on that note, how do you perceive PCOS and chronic conditions in the realm of body positivity? I think it's, I'm still working that out if I'm fully honest. Um, I've only been diagnosed for four weeks uh, or I mean I've been going through this process of being diagnosed for about three months but for four weeks is when I started my medication and I got my official diagnosis so um, and I'm still kind of working through all of my previous like connecting the dots with my past if that makes sense so at the moment I don't really know how it fits into my body positivity apart from the fact that obviously because I have such a foundation in that, that I feel grounded in the fact that I still have worth and respect for myself and my body, regardless of what it's doing or what my health is, um, or what size I am or any of that stuff. So the respect and worthiness of my body is still there and I still feel good about my body. Um, but I guess it's just not entirely my focus at the moment in terms of like traditional body positivity. Um, personally, I'm still doing a lot of like advocacy in terms of fat activism and like community work. But I guess for me personally, I haven't really found what that means for me yet. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, what do you wish, um, more doctors or healthcare providers knew about PCOS particularly? Because, you know, um, like you said earlier, it takes so long to get diagnosed. And there's also mm-hmm. like this brush away of like um, symptoms or, I don't know, maybe it's like this the internalization of like, oh, I'm just doing it wrong. But yeah, so yeah. what do you wish doctors and other healthcare providers knew about PCOS? Um, I think it's like a two-pronged thing, right? Like, so obviously like PCOS is like, um, a female medical issue. Um, though I know some people who suffer with PCOS might not identify as female, but that's how it's perceived as the medical community. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma in terms of like, um, sexism and just general disbelief of women when they talk about anything Mm. relating to periods or period pain or, um, period experience, just because there's a general, um, disbelief of women in the medical community anyway, of not really taking us seriously, not really, um, you know, understanding that women, um, 
know what their period whether their periods are right or wrong and if they know something's wrong um to take them a bit more seriously like the amount of conversations I've had with my doctor being like is my period right they're like oh yeah that's totally normal and like I've told my new GP and she's like "Mm, no that's not really normal and I'm like I know right like why would they say that why would Um, bleeding for 40 days be okay yeah. <laughs> right, well, like my gynecologist just being like, oh, I'll see you in another three months when I get back from holidays and like, we'll see how your symptoms go. And I'm like, I've literally been bleeding for 45 days and it's not stopping. Like you might want to stop that. Like, um, so I think that's one part of it. Um, this idea that women kind of don't really kind of have a understanding of their own bodies when they do. Um, also I wish that there was more medical research in terms of behind PCOS because it's such a newly diagnosed and researched field. Um, And in terms of the other side of me that I suppose affected my diagnosis, I think had a big impact on my diagnosis was just weight stigma. So I know that not everyone with PCOS is um, overweight or has um, a high BMI, but for me that was definitely a huge, huge roadblock in terms of me getting any type of treatment ever um, because it was a really easy way for doctors to be like, mm, that's related to your weight. Mm, that's related to your weight. Mm. So I would just want more investigation. I, th- I think what's frustrating is I feel like a lot of people, regardless of um, what health condition you have or what size body you have, kind of spend a lot of time going to the doctor being like, mm, can you test for this and doing their own research on the side. Um, it's like, I know that doctors are time poor and they have a lot of stuff going on. And I'm not saying they're not knowledgeable. Obviously they've been in medical school for a long time, but something isn't working and the biases that they have and kind of the system that we work in, in terms of not giving gravitas to people's own bodily experiences seems kind of crazy to me because who would know someone's body better than the person who's living in it? So um, I think that needs to be taken more seriously and that people, that doctors need to, I mean, I know it's harder in America because especially with cost in terms of testing and those types of other things, especially if you don't have insurance, but in Australia, like we have a healthcare system, like there's no reason they can't send you for tests. And even if you do pay, it's a minimal um, amount as a copay or as a um, excess. So I just get frustrated when doctors, like, for example, like I recently went to the ER like twice last month and I found out that I have gallstones through my GP. Um, but both times I went to the doc- to the hospital, they refused to give me pain meds because they told me it was reflux. And I was like, this is not reflux. And my mum has had her gallbladder out. So she was like trying to advocate for me. Um, and both times they basically said to me like, oh yeah, you know, you'll be fine. And like, didn't do any testing. And when I asked if I could please have an ultrasound, cause I thought it was my gallbladder, they told me no, <laughs> like, and then like, um, I had my ultrasound last week and it turns out, yes, I do have gallstones and I do have an inflamed gallbladder. And that's also, um, you know, a symptom that I'm dealing with in terms of like my, um, bile and my acid in my stomach and a lot of inflammation in terms of my PCOS. So, um, it's kind of just like this ongoing thing where if you have to go to the doctor three or four times just to get tested for something like really what, like that's not them really doing their job. So I just hope in the future, there's just more, um, understanding that patients, um, aren't completely stupid and don't know what's going on because a lot of the times like we can identify things that doctors can't because they're not living in our body. I agree. I mean, I think it affects like everyone across the board. But then when I think of how much weight stigma research we have emerging now, we know mm-hmm. it's an issue. And so I just wonder if there was more focused weight stigma research on the PCOS community. I can't imagine how amplified things would be just considering living in a higher BMI body for such a long time. And then mm-hmm. having um, this pattern of doctors not listening. It, yeah, it just it's a lot. Yeah. So I also want to ask, I know you haven't been diagnosed too long, but in this brief time, what has been the best and worst PCOS advice that you were given? Um, The best PCOS advice I've been given was by my GP a couple of weeks ago. I was really struggling with symptoms, um, not only with my PCOS, but just my gallbladder inflammation and pain and stuff. Um, And she was saying to me like that, considering I had my period for so long and that I've just been diagnosed and I've had all these new medications that my body needs time to accept that and also just deal with all of the symptoms that I've been having. So um, knowing that like 
I had time and had someone on my side and she was like, I really want to work with your symptoms has helped me the most. Not having to be like, oh, I have to fix it like tomorrow. Like it's going to be a long journey has helped me mentally kind of prepare a bit more in terms of like the valleys and the peaks of this diagnosis. Um, And probably the worst advice I'd gotten was my (laughs) gynecologist was like, oh, I don't really want to put you on any medication um, or any like insulin resistance medication like metformin. And then she like tapped my shoulder and was like, we'll just see how lifestyle changes go. And I was like, what the heck do you mean? I just told you I exercise, I eat well. The last dietitian I saw told me I wasn't even eating enough. Like what more do you want me to do? Like um, the kind of condensation of being like, oh, I'm not going to say weight loss because I know she has an eating disorder history, but I'm just going to like completely hint at it because like you know I can that was probably the worst advice I've got because I was like you literally have asked me two questions about my lifestyle like what do you actually really know about it like what the hell yes I think that's so true like um sometimes when doctors are like Julie how can I be better at helping people recover from an eating disorder or just um help prevent I'm like well don't assume anything I you know actually ask how are you eating and you'll get some information but that withholding medication part, especially with PCOS, really pisses me off because it's not just like high insulin, like with diabetes or how most mm-hmm. people think about insulin. You're yeah. you're like hyperinsulinia. You know, the circulating um, insulin levels are so high that like, yeah, I don't care if someone's a robot and doing whatever is in vogue <laughs> to help lower insulin yeah. levels. It's not going to do it and it's going to be torture. So medicine you can do for a little bit. Yeah, she wouldn't give me metformin, which really pissed me off because when I went and had my insulin test, um, I was like in the, like just in the pre-diabetic range and my insulin sugars were like off the chart. Like they, after the two hour mark, they were like crazy. And that's part of the reason why I don't eat often is because my body's better at, at fasting or starvation mm-hmm. because it feels more manageable to me. Um, so I was like, well, you want me to eat better and you want me to actually eat, but I can't eat right now because of like how my body's feeling like without this insulin management. And also I was just like, I'm already at the pre-diabetes stage and I'm trying everything I can to manage that. It's out of my control. So why would you not give me medication that helps pro- not progress that? Like, I don't understand what what you're teaching me by that. If I've told you that I've tried all these other avenues in my previous history, why would you put that off? It just didn't make sense to me and why it almost felt like a punishment. Like, oh, if you were like X pounds lighter, I would, I would for sure give it to you. But because you're not, do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's so messed up. Like I just don't understand what that proves or how that helps anyone because even if I was someone who wanted to go on a weight loss journey or wanted to lose weight, like why wouldn't you give them all the medication available to the, at, to them to help their symptoms and manage their disorder? Like I just mm-hmm. don't understand. Yeah, I think it's fat phobia at its finest, honestly, because it's like yeah. you have to prove the worth um, and and lots of patronizing stuff that I heard when you were talking about. I'm like, oh, that's so awful that they say these things to you. And, um, yeah. you know, one through talking to you, it sounds like mindfulness is a big part of how you are helping to protect you, like your self-care. There's lots of like, um, I, I get the sense you like notice when your thing, things in life feel balanced and when you need to set up some more boundaries. Um, what other tools, if any, are you using to navigate your mental and physical wellness? Um, therapy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm like the biggest supporter of therapy like you'll never meet I'll never meet someone and someone be like oh, I don't know about therapy I'm like you have to do it like <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm yeah I'm a bit biased I think that it's unfortunate that we all go and like check our car up at the mechanic and we check our bodies at the doctor and we like get house insurance but we don't necessarily ever go check in about our mental health um I think everybody can benefit from therapy <laughs> even if you don't think that you're quote unquote messed up or have any mental illness stuff Um, therapy for me, like without therapy, um, I can't, if I don't get it out and actively start that processing outside of my body, it swallows me whole. So that's the biggest thing I have in terms of dealing with it. And I'm lucky that I've been in therapy for so long with a good therapist that, um, that feels really comfortable to me. Um, physically it's more, like I said, like slowing down, like boring stuff, like resting stuff. I hate doing, like, I hate to rest. (laughs) I hate to just sit around and do nothing, but, or nap, but 
I've kind of had to do it lately and I have seen a real increase in terms of my energy and just feeling mentally better. Um, and also just saying no to things more, mm-hmm. which I'm also really, really bad at. Um, but just kind of prioritizing me like, no, like I definitely need this week off. Like I'm going on holidays in four weeks. So July is like a really quiet month for me. So um, setting aside that time, even though I feel like mentally I can do it, I know physically I have some restrictions. So just kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, checking myself and making sure I'm not committing to too many things um, mm-hmm. is important. That's awesome. Yeah, because you come across as someone who's super high energy and such yeah. a delight. <laughs> and so um, I can see how like, that would be challenging to say, yeah. I need to rest when like your natural kind of way is just so energizing. But um, I'm glad that that's like helping you to like reconnect to yourself and, and definitely yeah. therapy too. I, I, remember, I don't remember who said it, but I heard this like, cheesy, like radio therapist once say that we all every person should have devote like one year of their life to individual therapy for no reason. Yes. Just to like, yes, give them that gift of like exploring who they are and um, do it for a year, weekly therapy and how that needs to almost just be kind of like, you know, checkups um, when you're little to the pediatrician and you get your vaccines and all that stuff. Like (laughs) why not therapy too? You know, it's so true. Like literally therapy. I mean, therapy for me also saved my life. Like I had an eating disorder, like I had major mental health stuff to deal with. So it wasn't like I was, um, like just feeling a bit off, like my, (laughs) like my true North in terms of what I thought was normal was, um, not very normal. So I really had to, um, I had to go, but even now I would consider myself in a real, like the most stable, happy part of my life. But if I didn't go to therapy, I I know that I would suffer from that um, in terms of just like feeling good in my soul. Like that's the only way I can describe it. I think that there's a stigma attached to it. And so it makes it so much harder for people to access this great tool that can help in so many ways. Yes. And like, especially with a medical diagnosis, like PCOS, like you have to process that outside of yourself because there's so many aspects and individuality to it in terms of symptoms and mental health and just in general body changes and lifestyle changes and just so much stuff that, um, incorporates how you deal with it. So I think therapy should be like a tick off the box. Like that's kind of what annoyed me in terms of like my gynecologist, like until I bought therapy up, it's not like she said to me like, oh, you should maybe check out some therapy stuff. But like, hello, like anybody with PCOS, especially with a higher rate of anxiety and depression in in with people who suffer with it, like, shouldn't that be a question? Like, <laughs> Yes, I completely agree. And I, I always wonder if doctors are comfortable bringing it up. And I wonder what they're thinking that the patient's thinking. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think everyone should go at least once. But I think if you have PCOS, and you already have to deal with doctors not listening to you and your body, and also all the symptoms associated with it, being able to see a therapist that's if not health in every size, at least very body positive, it could be a life changing experience. Mm -hmm. So have you learned anything about PCOS that surprised you? Something that surprised me recently, which I thought was a bit weird, was um, obviously like with my PCOS diagnosis, I have a lot of cysts that are present on my ovaries, um, which cause me pain um, when I have my period and during other sort of activity stuff with my partner. So when I brought that up to my doctor and I was like, is there anything I can do for like my cyst management? Um, She was kind of like, no, like there's not really any treatment plan in terms of dealing with that because um, individually, like they're not dangerous, um, but they can cause like um, pain or discomfort. Um, And that really surprised me because I was thinking like, if this was a dude's disorder and like (laughs) hurt their penis. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, oh my God, we would just hear them complaining all the time. Yeah, yes. wouldn't they just be like, there would be a crisis. Like there would be so much funding. There would be like a foundation. There would be like Lance Armstrong, like armbands. There would be like holes <laughs> everywhere. Oh, I yeah, thought about that too. Oh yeah, because I'm like, if men menstruated, you know, that would just be all over all the time. Like it would be like their pride and joy to be bleeding, yeah, you know? Yeah, like compare flows like they're a <laughs> yeah. bigger man. Like none of us, <laughs> do that 
Um, so I was a bit pissed off a little bit because I was like, well, this is causing me pain when I'm like intimate with my partner and like during times of the month. And yet there's no kind of look at how to manage that symptom, which kind of annoyed me a little bit. Cause I was like, okay, cool. So like that part will just be painful for the rest of my life. Mm. Oh, awesome. Great. Okay. Um, so I was a bit annoyed about that. And the other thing that was surprising to me was just, um, my, my, how surprising my personal results were in terms of my insulin and like how, when I looked into that, like how much that really affected my day-to-day life. And I didn't even realize because I've kind of grown up in a family, like my mom's very tough. She's very independent. She's like kind of one of those moms that if you were sick from school, like unless you were bleeding from the head, like you had to go. So <laughs> Um, she, she was kind of like, yeah, no, you're fine. Like, for example, once I had chicken pox and I came downstairs, I was really sick when I was like 14 and she told me I look like Linda Blair from the exorcist. So she's like, <laughs> not exactly like the most sympathetic person on the planet. She's really lovely. She just like empathy is like not one of her biggest strengths. So <laughs> Um, knowing that like I had all these like things and I was still, um, living like such a full life, but I had all of these like limitations that I didn't really even take into consideration was really surprising to me. Cause it kind of, as much as I know, I need to slow down. It made me feel stronger than I have in the past. Cause I was like, look at all the badass shit you're doing and your body's like betraying you. <laughs> so that kind of surprised me as well. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the things that we've been asking all of the guests is, um, what would you tell yourself if you could go back like to the person who got the diagnosis? And I kind of want to do it a little different for you, Danny, if you don't mind, because, mm-hmm. sure. um, I actually was wondering like what you would tell that 11 year old who was starting to struggle with mood, um, stuff and, um, starting to feel and learn about fat bias, what what do you wish you could tell that person? Oh, that poor little girl. Um, <laughs> she's got a lot of shit coming, so I don't know how I would prepare her for that. Um, but I guess I would just say that um, she isn't crazy. It's not all in her head. Um, and that eventually she'll live a ve- very, like, full, happy adult life. Um and that she'll meet people on her journey that are really supportive and wonderful. Um, I suppose at 11, like, <laughs> I was like a like fat, chunky, like red books inside kind of child. So um, I had a lot of friends and I was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a good time. I love reading and um, I, don't, I didn't mind being myself. But I, and I had a lot of friends. I was always really social, like on the social committees and like student council and stuff. And I was quite academic. So I never felt like I was like a loser or like I had no friends. Um, but at the same time, I never really felt like I fit in or that I was like normal, like the girls around my age, just because of my size. And um, I guess I didn't have like similar interests to them at the same time. Like I had a lot of struggles internally and externally that they necessarily didn't deal with. Um, so I'd probably just tell her that support is there, um, and that she has an internal strength that she doesn't really realize yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I wish that was something that, um, we would teach all like 11 year olds that, you know, they have this wisdom and as they get older, they're just going to like, if they could just stay with it, it'll be so right. powerful and amazing. Particularly, particularly girls. Yes. Like, I yes. mean, boys are taught that they're strong from like day one, even mm-hmm. if they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also negatively affects them in mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But for girls, I think, especially around that turn of 11, before that, you kind of feel a little bit invincible and like you could be an astronaut or you could be anything. Um, and then you kind of hit that puberty area and suddenly everything's like, oh, <laughs> like this is the way the world is. Um, and they don't necessarily have the language to deal with that because we just expect them just to do what's normal, right? So I wish that they had more opportunities to express the frustration because um, I think that's why a lot of people think that teenagers, are like especially young girls, are so dramatic and angry or angsty. Um, it's not because they're just like naturally like that. It's because of like A, what's going on in their bodies and B, how the world reacts to that around them. Um, 
And that would make anyone pissed off. So Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. that they need more understanding in terms of why they're so angry at times, um, even if it doesn't necessarily come across as like that hot anger. Um, Because unfortunately, usually that's turned inwardly on themselves, right? Like they usually punish themselves for those feelings because Mm -hmm. that's what women are taught to do. It's our fault. It's our responsibility. Um, So, yeah, I wish that young women kind of were taught that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated at the systems that we currently exist in. Um, And it's okay to, you know, feel pissed off because being a girl in this world is super, super hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I have a feeling um, the 11-year-old Danny was um, not only was her hypothalamus going through some changes from the PCOS (laughs) that she didn't know about, but also like you were like totally in tune with things that were really horrible, you know, and, and like going on around you, you know, and I think that's part of why that happens is like girls are sometimes just more intuitive and, um, and then told to just like, Oh, just brush it off or that's too much or something like that. So, yeah. Um, I hope more people get to know your work because I think that you're doing a lot to help with people just to, um, really listen to their own intuition and to advocate for themselves. So I'm really um, I was so glad to get to know your work. And if other people would like to get to know you too, where's a, a way for them to do that? Sure. Um, the biggest um, place I post and the place that I have um, the most content is probably on Instagram. So you can follow me at I am Danny Adriana. Um, or you can also go to my website, which is I am Danny Um, They're probably the two biggest places of my content at the moment. I love all the webinars you have. So um, we will put that in the show notes so people can connect to your work. Thank you so much, Danny, for your time and sharing with us your lived experience with PCOS. That's super helpful. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this rebroadcast of the PCOS and Food Peace podcast. It was created by Julie Duffy Dillon and Kimmy Singh. Audio engineer is Toby Lyles from 24 Sound. Show art by Katie Sanders from Pop and Gray. Music by Tiny Music and titled Super Pop. We are grateful that you listen to our show. And if you'd like more information about Julie's work, go to juliedillonrd.com. And Kimmy's work, go to tastingabundance.com. Thank you for listening to the show. And we hope it gave you more opportunities to experience food peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.